Well, good morning. It's good to have you here. Um, so we're in a series called Body Life, where we're looking at the life in the body of Christ. And this week and next week, we're going to be looking at leadership. So I'm going to be dealing with the qualities of leadership today, and Tim will be dealing with responsibilities of leadership next week. But just so you know, your day is coming, because after that comes how lay folks should be involved and how they should be viewing themselves within the context of the church. So for this particular, I want you to help me here. Um, I want you to suppose that you get an email I don't know if you get these, I get a fair amount of these, where you're asked to be a reference for somebody. Maybe somebody that's going to college. For me, sometimes it's somebody that's also going to be applying for a church or ministry position or something like that. And there's a whole bunch of things you have to kind of answer. When, when, you, when we come to this particular passage, one of the things you're going to notice when we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that what drives the entire list is character. If this was a football team, what I can, I'm concerned about most is that you can catch a football, that you can knock people on their can if you're a lineman, that you can tackle, that you can... You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't really care about your personal life so much. I just care that you can catch the ball. It's the total opposite in the church, folks. The Bible is absolutely passionately concerned about the character of your leaders and of your own lives. And so when in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, when he talks about leadership, he gives this long list. You have almost 15 qualities in both passages, and there's a fair amount of overlap. But this is how I want you to think about this passage today. I want you to assume that you've gotten one of those reference letters. But can I give you the different designations to be thinking about? Way over here would be the designation, this person rejects this quality out of hand. Rejecting. The next one, this person neglects this quality out of hand. So maybe this is a negative two and this is a negative one. Make sense? Next step over. This person is progressing in this quality. Eh, maybe not home yet, but there's evidence of interest and desire to see this as a reality. Next one over would be, make sure, deepening in this particular quality. And my last one, masters this particular quality. So plus three, masters, plus two, deepening, plus one, progressing, negative one, neglecting, negative two, rejecting. Does that make sense? So there's the reference. Now, you've got your pens out. You're going to be thinking all the way through Finkbeiner, Huff, Raider, Victor, Steve. Who am I missing? 
James. Am I missing anybody? I don't know. So you're going to be thinking, of, well, aren't they the elders around here? Like, they're the guys. So is that quality rejected, neglected? That's not good. I see it a little bit. Pretty good. Whoa, baby. He's got that one. Um, it's true. You want to see that your leadership is over here somewhere, don't you? Rightly so. So as we go through these qualities, yeah, I want you to be thinking that way. However, there's no wiggle room here, folks, because you will find virtually all of these qualities are also responsibilities of you elsewhere in the pastoral epistles. So should your leadership be kind of out in front encouraging that? Absolutely. Does that mean you can sit back and do nothing? Absolutely not. All right? So I want you to do two references today. Yeah, you can do it on the leaders. And I'd like you to do it on yourself. Fair, is that fair enough? So, so kind of be thinking, and once again, rejecting, neglecting, progressing, deepening, mastering. I think that'll work. Now, I've done something else. I don't normally do this, but I thought it might help. I have to tell you, one of the hardest things to preach through as a pastor is a list. Like, how do I preach through a list that if you combine them, there's about 20 different characteristics without looking out at an audience where everybody just kind of glazes over? Did you see the problem? So I've tried to group all this stuff together. All right, so in your bulletin, if you flip that open, do you, do you see you have a handout there? And it has a it, two-sided. One says 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, uh, th- 1 to 7, and the other one's Titus 1, 5 to 9. If you don't have a bulletin, don't worry about it. Just turn it over to 1 Timothy 3, and you'll be okay. This is um, the um, FWV translation, the Finkbeiner Wooden version, Okay. All I've tried to do is reorganize it a little bit so you can see how some of those qualities break out, okay? So just a kind of a different way to organize it as we work through it. But, but as, as we work through Timothy primarily refer- cross-referencing Titus, you can look at this sheet, and it will help you along the way. And the other thing I would say is take this sheet home with you and look at it again as it relates to your leadership here. As it relates to your life here. Does that make sense? So it's yours to use in a variety of ways. Let me start reading here in 1 Timothy 3, in verse 1. Paul begins this way. The saying is trustworthy. If one is aspiring to oversight, he's desiring a good work. Um, I want you to think about this for a moment. As Paul is writing this particular book, he's writing it to Timothy, who is in a place called Ephesus. But frankly, there's a big problem in the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was made up of a bunch of house churches. But part of the problem is there's all kinds of people aspiring to leadership who frankly should not be in leadership. They're teaching false doctrines. All kinds of stuff's going on. And part of their impetus would be saying, hey, I want to be a leader. And Paul says, for the person who is aspiring to leadership, 
to being in this position of oversight, uh, that's a good work. And it's such a good work that you don't get in just because you desire it. There has to be a set of, of character traits and qualities that should be true of those individuals. Should that be reflective of your elders here? And we've got other people that are involved in leadership here. That should be involved of anybody that's aspiring to leadership. And many of these should be true of each of your lives. So as he progresses, this is what I want you to notice. And this is how I'm trying to organize this because you're thinking, 20 qualities, Finkbeiner, cut me a break. So I've tried to simplify it, really simplify it. I want to look at personal qualities and interpersonal qualities. And those interpersonal qualities are going to be, so it's, it's not just looking at my life, how am I personally? But how do I relate to my family? And then how do I relate to my church? And then how do I relate to the world? Make sense? And so I want to kind of take these qualities and kind of group them in from personal to interpersonal, from personal to family to church to life. When you look at your um, text, translation, or whatever, one of the things that just jumps off, I hope you notice this. Look at how verse 2 begins in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Therefore, the overseer must be above reproach. And then there's a whole bunch of qualities that run all the way down to verse 6, and there's one little sentence embedded in there, but it's really in many ways just one long sentence. Look at how verse 7 begins. Moreover, he must also have a good testimony before those outside. So what you find, what rules the day here, is I want my leader to be above reproach with those within the church and having a good testimony with those outside of the church. I don't know how else to say it, but you're kind of like Teflon, you know? Um, I don't use Teflon much because sometimes they tell me that stuff can break off and you can end up eating it, so we don't use Teflon. My wife always has to use stainless steel. But you know the problem with stainless steel? Like I made eggs yesterday. Oh, man. Stained that whole thing up. I had a, it was a mess cleaning it. Unless I leave it for my wife, but that's not a good thing. But you, you know what I'm saying. Stainless steel is really healthy, but it's a pain in the neck to clean up. You take that egg, you throw it into Teflon, what happens? You get done, slides right out. You can wipe it off and stick it back in the counter and nobody will know, right? Because it just kind of slides right off. And, you know, when he looks at leadership, a lot of things are going to get thrown in there, you know? There may be a little bit of sticky here and there, you know, because nobody's perfect. That's all true. It's all true. But at the end of the day, it kind of slides off. Accusations will come. Leaders will, will face accusations. But at the end of the day... A leader should never live over here where that quality is neglected or rejected. That's not Teflon. Teflon is over here somewhere. Don't look for perfection. 
If you're looking for perfection, we all resign today. That's the truth because we're all sinners saved by grace. But you ought to see a movement over here from progressing, deepening, mastering in the character of the leadership. I mean, that's, that's what the text says. And this stuff doesn't mean you won't ever have people throw something at you. It's just at the end of the day, because a leader should live a life of constant repentance and humility before God, at the end of the day, there's nothing ultimately to hold on to because it slides off because that sin is being dealt with. Do you see? And there's progress and movement in that person's life. So watch for all that as we talk through. So he talks about being being above board here. So let's talk about the personal life first. And like I said, I'm going to kind of pop around on the list here just because these personal qualities are woven all the way through. Here's what I would say at the end of the day. As I looked at this list, let me give you something very simple that helps you think your way through the personal life. This text will tell us that a leader says no to self and yes to God. And because that is an ongoing quality of their life, they are maturing. That'd be my simplest way to try to put all this stuff together. They're a person that willingly says, God, I say no to self. Doesn't mean you don't care about yourself. My, see, my, my problem is I, 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 I greatly love myself. People don't have to teach me how. Sometimes I hear people say, you've got to learn to love yourself. That has never been a problem in my life. I'm madly in love with myself. The, the question is, do I love God more? Do you see? And this text is saying for leadership, there should be this constant sense of God when it's what you say and what I think or what I want. I go with you. No. Yes. Do you see? And when that happens over an extended period of time, we call that maturity. Which is why this text says you don't make an elder or an overseer in this case. You don't don't make that, you, you don't bring somebody up who's just gotten saved. So look, we've had some folks just gotten saved in the last couple months and we are so happy that they've gotten saved. But we don't choose them to be elders. Not yet. Do you see? Because we want them to learn the no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, over a period of time. So there's maturity there. So, say no to yourself. Look at some of the terms that he'll use here in verse 3. No to self. Not a drunkard. Not violent. Uncontentious. A non-lover of money. Folks, the Bible doesn't tell us that it's a sin to drink, does it? It tells us that it's a sin to get drunk. Why is that? Because the person that is getting drunk is indicating there's all these other issues going on in their life too. I get that. But they're a person that's no longer under control by the Spirit. And, 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 and rather than a person that's able to say, no, I'm... I'm going to stop there. No, because this I want God always to be central. And if I move in that direction, who knows what's going to happen? No. They're not violent. 
You push me, I'm going to knock your block off. No, that's not the way it's supposed to work, is it? They're not violent. They're not contentious. It's not the person every time you get into a discussion, they're always saying, you're wrong. You're wrong, I'm right. You're wrong, I'm right. Oh, stop it. I get so sick of you, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, they're not that way. They're constantly saying no to self. Do you see that? And what they say yes to is gentleness. See, gentleness doesn't mean you're in a contentious situation and somebody says something unkind and in your heart you go, praise the Lord, I love it when people treat me unkind. No. How do you feel in that moment? Don't you want to lash out? Don't you want to get back at them? But a person that says no to self and yes to God, in that moment, they're feeling that tension, but they're also sensing the spirit where I work in their life saying, you still need to love that person. So you move back to them again and you minister to them for the cause of Christ. You're gentle. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about the fact that, that leaders need to be gentle and patient. Because people need to be reminded again and again and again and again and again of the truth. And what you don't do is say, I am so sick and tired of telling you this. Either do it or get out. Never an option for leadership. It's not. It is a feeling sometimes. But it's not right. Do you see? Do you feel that way with your kids sometimes? Sometimes you just want to roll your eyes and you're, ah. no, 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 no. You, you, you don't do that. So he says, in your personal life, there is this spirit control that doesn't allow you to move into a violent, drunkard, out of control phase. So no to self. Some of the other qualities he, he gives us in verse two: temperate, self-controlled. And respectable. Do you see this? You should look for leaders and you should look in your own life for people you say, man, that person is out of control. That's not a good thing. They're, 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 they're temperate. When people are saying, let's do this, and this, they're just, they're, they're balanced. They're, 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 they're careful. They're thoughtful. Do you see? And he says, don't just be indulging yourself and out of control. No, 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 no. You're, you're always slow to speak and quick to hear as you reflect and think through what's going on. No to self, yes to God. And in the, the Titus passage, he has a whole series of positives, and he says, we are to be people who are lovers of good, who seek to live holy, righteous lives before God. And again, what he means by all that is, I want you to be a person who in the core of your soul loves God more than you love yourself. And if that's true, that will change the decisions you make. And it will become obvious, which is why he uses the word respectable, it will become obvious to others that a pattern of self-control by the Spirit, of God-centeredness, 
is reality in that person's life. Do you see? So Paul says, from the personal life, look for that. Also, look at their interpersonal life. Specifically, the family. Both in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, and for the deacon in 1 Timothy 3, the Bible says that the leader should be a husband of one wife. Now, I have to tell you, that is very controversial as to what it means. And there have been some that have argued through the years that you could never be divorced and be an elder in a church. And I would take a position against that. I would argue that this particular text is arguing that a man who is married to a woman in that current relationship, all of his attention and his eyes should be for one woman only, her. If it's for anyone else and it becomes obvious, he should be removed. I'm a one-woman man. Her name is Sherry. She's sitting down front here. I'm a Sherry man. That's what I am. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the Bible will talk about widows that have been honorable should be one-manned women, which means Sherry should be a, a Doug woman. I'm a Sherry man, and she's a Doug woman. Did I say that right? Yeah, okay. Thinking myself, probably saying it backwards and doing heresy, but I don't think so. You should expect that of your leaders. You shouldn't expect, hey, did you hear about Finkbeiner? Oh, man. I don't know about him with some of the women in the church. I mean, it's kind of questionable stuff. That's not a good thing. That would need to be pursued. Now, it's true. Accusations must be verified by two or three witnesses. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you don't just go with any old accusation. Fair enough. But if there's several people that are looking at Finkbeiner and they're like, eh, nah, nah, you would need to make that your elders aware of that. Because if we're going to be a model for you of the way we're supposed to live, there's no other woman in my life but the woman sitting on that front pew right there. She gets it all. I'm a sherry man. That's what I am. You look for that in all of your leaders. And folks, you ought to look for that in your own marriage too. Because if we're setting that example, you should be saying, that's what I want in my home. I don't want to be tied up in all that pornography. I don't want to be playing games with women at church, at, at church or at work or my neighborhood or, or at the YMCA or health spa. Her and her alone. Do you know how desperately we need that in our day, folks? Can I tell you? I am it just in my position, I hear too much of this stuff, to be honest with you. Graduates, students I've had in the past, and slipping and going into immorality here and there and all kinds of stuff. And it just grieves my heart. And you say, Oh, Fink Bonnie, you're perfect. You, no, I could do it too. I'm a sinner. And if I do, I should be out of here in a minute. That's the truth. I've seen churches where men have clearly, clearly violated God's standards. The church says, well, he's a really good preacher. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is that that man is committed to that woman. So he says, you, you should look at their relationship. You should see. If I'm out in the hallway and every time there's a joke, I make a mocking comment of my wife, that's not good. That's not a one-woman man. It's not honoring her. It's not respecting her. You ought to wonder about that. Now, you shouldn't talk to somebody else about it. You should come and say, hey, Doug, when you made that comment in Sherry's present, I think you really hurt her. And I should look back at you and say, thank you for sharing that. I'll talk to Sherry about that. That was insensitive. That's good. That's really good. You should do that, folks. A one-woman man. Notice he also says this, verse 4. Managing his own house well, having children in submission with all dignity. And in the Titus passage, he says in verse 6, B, after talking about if one is irreproachable, a husband of one wife, having faithful children who are, un- who are not under an accusation of dissipation or rebellion. Did you notice the reason for this in 1 Timothy 3? Now, if one does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? If, um, if all my children are a rebellious wreck, they come in here and you go, oh, but I hate it when Pink Biner brings his kids in here. They don't care about Christ. They don't care about this. They don't care about that. Don't you kind of wonder, I wonder what Finkbeiner's like at home. I know what he is up here in the pulpit. Pretty, you know, he speaks and talks, creaky, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, whatever. But what is he really like? And if I can't live it before my family and show them the reality of Christ in such a way to lead them along. There's no other. Now, now you say, can't you have a child that goes astray? Of course. And, and when children become adults, they make their own decisions? Of course. I get all that. I get all that. But, but, but if, if you see this, this override intensity, it's concerned me through the years. I've, I've known a variety of pastors in which all of their kids, while still living at home, are total rebels. Just total rebels. I, I have a problem with that. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know how to read this text any other way. That's a problem. And I, I can't help but think, what's going on at home? We're not talking about batting a thousand, but there should be this tendency of managing people well. Because if you can't manage them, how will you manage the people of God? You can't be an example there. You won't be an example here either. But I turn it back to you. In your marriages, are you committed to your spouse and your spouse alone? Are you seeking to shepherd your children in such a way that they're being inclined to Jesus? They're seeing the beauty of Jesus. They're interested in pursuing Jesus. Because if you can't do it there, how will you do it here?
Do you see? So as he talks, he says, look at your personal life. Is there a way in which, on a consistent basis, this individual is willing to say, no, when what I want counters what God wants? Yes, go with God. And is that becoming a track record? Then look at my family. Look at what I'm doing with Sherry. Look at my kid. Now, my problem with my kids is you can't really look at them because they're all out of the home. But, but um, they're, they're all, so, so it becomes an issue. But I suppose I, maybe I should bring them from time to time. Whatever, I don't know. But, but you know what I'm saying? We should all be working on our families in such a way that we are encouraging them in their faith walk with Christ. Not discouraging them. That's why Ephesians 6 says, Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you know what he, and, and don't exasperate them. You know what he's saying? With our children, we have two options. We will either push them from Christ or we will encourage them toward Christ. Is Christ so real in your life that the way you manage them sensitively and carefully is to actually lead them closer to Christ. There's something else in here that's really fascinating to me. I just want to hit it. it. Man, I could go on so long. This is such good stuff. Whatever. Here we go. Having children in submission with all dignity, although scholars debate it, I want to argue this, the with all dignity, that doesn't mean that the children are being dignified in their submission. You know what it means? It means I'm managing them in a way that's dignified. You know what the difference is? I don't ever look at my children, or I shouldn't ever look at my children and say, hey, stupid, get over here. Ever. Ever. That's not dignified. That's not valuing them as people. So my approach to my children should always be one where it's marked by wisdom and appropriateness as I go to them and I say, I love you. God loves you. You're valued by him. I don't like what you did. There's consequences for what you've done. But I'm for you. I'm not against you. Do you see? Do you see? Don't you want your leaders to treat you that way as as, as a congregant? Don't you? You don't want them to say like, hey, stupid, get your act together. Do you? I hope you don't. No, you want people to say, do you value me as a person? I struggle. I'm wrong. I need help. That's all good. I mean, mean, that's good because it's honest. And and so we should move toward people with a spirit that says, how can I help you? I value you. And if if, if it's happening in the home, it will happen in the church because it just bubbles over. That's the way it works. Look at how it bubbles over as you move from from the personal to the family to the church. And again, there's a bunch of, bunch of them here. I'll probably just pick on a couple of them because my time's running out. Within the church, here's a couple of the ones that bubble up to me and struck me as being interesting. The first one is hospitable. You find it both in chapter 3, verse 2 of 1 Timothy and over in Titus chapter 1, verse 8. How well... Do we treat 
people that visit the church that I might not know real well. That I just need to reach out to and love. If, if you're like me, I've often thought about this. I kind of like my own little cliques. Would you say it's easy? I mean, certain people I'm gravitated to. Because hey, I get into a conversation with them. It won't be any work. It'll just be fun. It'll be very enjoyable. There's other people where I go like, this is going to take some work. No, is that not true? We all have relationships like that. And this particular text is calling us to reach out and literally to love the stranger. I I don't want to toot his horn, but I'm going to do it anyway. And he did not tell me to do this. Trust me, he would never do it. But Tim and Ruth Huff are about the most hospitable people I've ever met. He challenges me in that area, not, be, not verbally, just by the way he lives. And um, we came over to the house last night. We came in to stay overnight. Uh, we got in around 10, 15 or something last evening. Um, after seeing the Gosnell movie on, on the abortion doctor in Philly, you need to go see that thing. Man, I, I was just sobered out of my mind. Anyway, that, that's just an aside. It's nothing to do with the text, but it was really, really good. So we, we got to their home, and sure enough, there was a young couple there, and they were ministering to them. <laughs> and they were there till after 11 o'clock, and we had a great time. I see that all the time with them, because it's just kind of a natural outflow. How can we reach out and touch somebody? What if we all did it? Really? What if after church, everybody was saying, who can I have over for lunch? Who can I go out for with lunch? Yeah, it's even easier that way. But, but either way, you're just saying, I want to grab people and just say, I don't know you real well, but man, I am glad that you're here. Oh, folks, we'd bust this place open. Hospitable. In the church, leaders should not be closed, but they should be hospitable. And I already mentioned they should be gentle. We should never be... I had a dentist years ago whose name remained anonymous. But I praise the Lord because he actually did work on my teeth for free. I mean, root canals, the whole thing. I mean, it was just... Bless my heart. Just wonderful guy. But man, he was rough. I mean, I kind of felt like, kind of, you know, just, I mean, he just, whoa, man. I just kind of went around. Ah. So I always, you know, always had to pray real hard when I was going in. But I'm saying, Lord, it's free. It's free. It's free. It's free. <laughs> and for good reason sometimes. Anyway, no, no, I, I don't, that's not true. That's not true. He did good work. But, but when I think of how we should treat one another, that image doesn't come to my mind. Now, I got a dentist now in Lancaster. Oh, my goodness. He's like the gentlest guy. The Doug, he explains everything. Oh, Doug, we're opening your mouth now. And we're we're going to do this. We're gonna, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and we're going to, uh-huh. You, know, you can't say anything. What are you supposed to say? You have all this junk in your mouth. Yeah. And, and, and if, if you feel a little pressure, just let us know. I never got that from the other guy, man. He just, hold on, think fine. And we went at it. It's not the way it's supposed to work in the body of Christ. People will be a pain sometimes, folks. 
Isn't that true in all of our lives? You meet people, you're like, you don't say it, but in your mind you go like, that person is a pain in the neck. We all are at times. Just ask your mate. And the Bible is all about not just, hey, just shift into neutral and do what comes natural. Not a good advice. Not good advice. No. In the moment, let the Spirit speak to you in such a way that you respond gently rather than aggressively, destructively, inappropriately. Do you see? And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, we need good leaders there in Ephesus. I don't care if somebody merely wants to be a leader. That doesn't cut it. Those qualities should not be over here. They may not be over here either. But they should be over here somewhere. And God's people should see them not to say, as a checklist, but that's what I want to see in my life too. Do you see? I mean, that's how it's supposed to work. Real quick. I keep saying real quick and I keep going. So I'll try to do this really quick. One last thing, and this is really important. If there's any ability represented in this list, it's one item. Able to teach. And in Titus, when he speaks about it, he gives you a little bit more details on this one. He gives it to you in Titus 1 verse 9. After talking about the fact that positively we're lovers of good and sensible and righteous and holy and disciplined, he says this in verse 9. Holding firmly to the faithful word according to the teaching in order that he might be able both to exhort in sound instruction and to correct the ones contradicting it. You know what you need in a leader? You need one who unabashedly is totally committed to the truth of God's word. They're able to teach. They're passionate about being accurate with the word and clear with the word so you know exactly what they mean. And sometimes that will mean that they'll pull up beside somebody who's walking with Christ and they'll say, way to go. Here's some other things that can help you. You see, you're exhorting them. And there will be other people who will be going the wrong direction and you as the leader will be called to come beside them and say, Brother, sister in Christ, you can't do this. This violates your relationship with God. It hurts him. It'll destroy you. Stop. Let's go this way. And they do it continually. And and Paul will have to tell Timothy and Titus, look, guys, stay at it because it's not always easy. But you be the bearers of truth. Do it in a loving way. Be gentle. Be kind. Be all those things. But do it. And don't say, well, I know what the Bible says. But if I bring that up, they're going to think, you can't. You've got to bring it up. Now, do it kindly. Do it appropriately. But do it. And so you want a leader that is able to teach. He knows the word. He can clearly teach the word to you. It doesn't mean it has to be in this setting. Some of the best teaching goes on one-on-one. Some of our guys that are elders here, 
do their best work one-on-one. And they're teaching. They're moving up beside somebody and saying, here's the truth of God's word. Here's what it means. How can I help you? They're able to teach. Can I say something else? Everyone in here should be a truth teller. You should be about learning the truth, learning the truth, learning the truth, so you can clearly and appropriately share the truth with somebody else. We got people in this church, I know, we know who you are, and you're great. You do great work one-on-one. You do great work in small groups. You can speak in public, too, and some of you do really well there, too. Teaching is not limited to one of those areas, folks. It can move in all those areas. But what's critical is that truth is known and then clearly communicated. That's what it's about. That's what you should look for in your leaders. That's what you should aspire to in your own life. Do you see? Well, the last thing he says, and honestly with this I'll stop. We've worked from the personal out to the family, out to the church. And what happens is a lost and dying world should be able to look inside the church and say, oh, that's the way humanity is supposed to work. I never knew that. Look out. It's not perfect, but there's gentleness and kindness and hospitality and love and truth-telling. and Wow, 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 from really nice people. I want you to live in such a way that outsiders who might attack you because they don't like your stance, there's nothing character-wise that they can really grasp onto. You're just like Teflon, and it keeps sliding off. When they see you as a neighbor, when they see you as a coworker, when they see you at the health spa or the other activities that you're involved in, they look and they say, He's a little weird on what he believes, but there's something real there. I wonder what it is. (laughs) Paul says, look for that in your leaders. Aspire to that as congregants. Since leading in the church is a great honor, an overseer must be above reproach with insiders and outsiders in his personal character, his interpersonal conduct, and in his biblical communication. Will you covenant together to pray for your leaders? We need it, folks. We are not perfect men, and we all acknowledge it. Pray for us. Encourage us. And secondly, will you follow that leadership? in living above reproach from the inside out. It's all about inside out, isn't it? It starts in here, and it comes out here. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it's not hard to understand, Lord. It's just absolutely impossible to live apart from your enabling grace. Will you do your good work in our lives as leaders, Lord, and continue to do that? And the lives of other folks here in the church that are involved in leadership activity, whether it's small group, whether it's 
music up here, whether it's Sunday school teaching, one-on-ones, it just goes on and on. But Father, will you work in each of our lives so that we begin to aspire to be the men and women that you've called us to be? In Christ's name I pray, amen.